This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. We're in a series called Formed or Changed into His Likeness. And I spoke last week on the great omission, uh, the fact that uh, this, uh, this idea that you can be a follower, of, you can be a Christian without really being a disciple of Jesus. That you, that, you know, that there's, we've got this category called disciple for super Christians, but actually the Bible doesn't have that category. Uh, we are those who are to follow Jesus uh, to... to um, to, to kind of follow his, keep his commandments, to live in his ways. Uh, it, you know, it's, and we talked about how there's a battle between we think it's all by faith and it's nothing to do with how we live, but the reality is uh, faith in Jesus changes our lives and, and we need to do that. And so German um, preacher who died in the Second World War uh, said this, be in no doubt following Jesus wasn't simply a spoken confession of faith in Jesus. Following Jesus wasn't a theory, but a radically obedient action. So how do we, how do we become those people that kind of live like Jesus? It's, it's not an easy question, you know. How, are our, how do we obey Jesus? How do we keep everything he's commanded you? You know, that part of that great commission we talked about last week. How do we do that? How are our hearts changed and transformed so we live like Jesus? And we said last week, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not that I just tell you and it happens, or you just read it in the Bible and it happens. It's not easy. But the truth is, I'm sure if you're here and you're full of Jesus, uh, you'd like to be like Jesus. Hands up if you'd like to be more like Jesus. Okay, I'm just checking. Some people are not sure. Okay, we'll get you later. Okay, and, and in one sense, you know, that's what we're trying to do in this series. And, and the challenge is being like, you know, we've got six, seven, eight weeks. I don't know how long it is. And, and, I, and I, I don't want to front, let, front load it all, but I want, as um, uh, Christine Hunting came to me last week and said, it'd be quite helpful if you, um, if you gave us some application. And I think, yeah, I want to give you application and not theory. And so I've kind of wrestled with it, and it's, this uh, sermon's had about four or five different goes. The amount of material that's been on the cutting room floor is quite shocking. So it should be a director's cut movie this morning. It should be really good for you. But we're going we're gonna to jump in anyway. We're going to jump in in Galatians. Uh, Galatia is an area in southern Turkey, uh, and what happened in the church in Galatia, having believed the gospel, uh, the, they began uh, and, and begun their lives in the power of the Spirit. Paul kind of throws his hands up in the air and says, why, why are you now trying to, to do it by human effort? Why are you trying to do it by just hard work and keeping the rules and keeping the law? You know, why, why are you turning from the Spirit to, to, to willpower? Because they're obviously working out how do you live the Christian life and what they'd done is they'd started by believing and they started by the Holy Spirit working in them but in the end they, they drifted back into trying by their own efforts. I'm going to read some verses in chapter 4 and um, uh, it, it's quite a long passage and sometimes you think, Paul, what are you saying? Uh, so I have snipped a bit in the middle and that's not because I'm, uh, I'm trying to make it easy for you not trying to not honour the word of God. 
Uh, but I just want you to listen for, for what Paul calls forces. Just listen for, for what Paul calls forces. So verse 3, he says, We were, past tense if you're a Christian, were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. At the point we're scratching our head. Uh, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or rescue those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries, Abba, Father. So we're no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Again, we're scratching our head. But, uh, but that now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it you're turning back to those weak, miserable forces? Do you wish to become enslaved by them all over again? And how, how have I become your enemy by telling you this truth? My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I'm perplexed about you. So Paul is saying, I'm really concerned about the drift you're taking. I'm really concerned about the way you're going. And you know, I'm having to tell you straight that trying to live the Christian life by keeping the rules by human effort isn't going to get it done. But he kind of talks about these forces that are at work. And so I, 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 I've tried to break my sermon down into lots of little points to help you uh, follow my train of thought. So my first kind of little idea is human character is shaped by contesting spiritual forces. Let's just remind ourselves of what Paul says. For Verse 4, we are under the slavery of elemental spiritual forces. And formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by, not, who by nature not gods. But now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it you're turning back to those weak, miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by God? Them, again... And, and Paul's kind of making out that, that, that actually there's a battle going on. There's a kind of contest going on. There's a bit of a, an arm wrestle of spiritual forces going on between kind of the power of God that wants to make you like Jesus and the spiritual forces in this world that want to make you anti-God, that want you to make uh, other than God. And, and those sinful forces are kind of working at us all the time. They're, they're working behind the scenes. And, and they want to undo the work that God has done in sending his son. God's, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the spirit of adoption. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. And so in one sense, there's this kind of force between the spirit of God who wants to make us like Jesus, make us have the family likeness, and these kind of mysterious other forces that are trying to pull us in the other direction. Derek Worthington, a guy from New York, said in his book, The Call of Discipleship, writes, it's a terrible mistake to assume that the world is neutral space. Far from neutral, our lives and the space where we live is very much contested. Now, you might think that actually that you live in this world where all your free choices and your free will are the ones that are making the decision. And that's what our society tells us. You can be whatever you want to be. You can live however you want to live. You can be free to live a particular way. And, and there's no other forces acting on you, as if your choice is all that, ha all, 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 all that shapes it. 
But actually, Paul is saying that's not true. There's no neutral space. You know, you're either going, being forced one way or the other. We, we need to understand that we're either being made more like Jesus or we've been made less like Jesus. There's not this kind of neutral space where we're just kind of living our lives in this kind of normal way and going about our normal things. Everything we do is shaping us one way or the other. And so it's really important that human character is shaped by these forces. And suddenly you might think, oh no, this is kind of like weird, you know, is this kind of witches and demons on the hill that are shaping us? No, I think that the spiritual forces are that, he calls them elemental, almost they're in the air. They're part of the air that we breathe. It's, it's part of the things that we, we experience in our culture. It's part of the things that we see in politics, we see in, in, in economics, we see in entertainment, and with the arts, we see on our mobile phones, we see on the internet. These things are constantly shaping us all the time. And so you need to understand that you're constantly being shaped. And Paul says this, uh, he says, My dear children, for whom I'm in pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. He kind of paints this image of formation as if it's almost like a baby that's being formed in the womb and then being born. Uh, and, and, and as you know, if, and we've talked about this in our Christmas service, you know, childbirth is like a difficult, challenging thing. It's not like you just say, let's have a, ba- let's have a baby. I mean, there is some fun stuff in it. But, you know, let's just have a baby and then kind of that's it. The, the baby takes a while to form and to grow and then there's kind of this inevitability that the baby's coming, the baby's coming and you have to kind of push through. And so my second point is having Jesus' character formed in us is a bit like childbirth. It, it, it's something that, that takes a time to grow and takes a time to develop and, and it's kind of like... in in the womb and then there's kind of pain and blood and suffering and and then suddenly kind of we come screaming out and then we're not done after that you know we have to we have to be raised we're helpless we have to be raised and nurtured and 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 fed and walked and taught and we you know and and Paul's saying that's what it's like being a disciple it's not like you just there's that moment of like intimacy and then that's it, you come out fully formed, you don't. You come out uh, shapeable and, 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 uh, and, 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 and Paul saying he's, like, he's almost like he's giving birth to, to these Christians in, in a way saying, like, I'm trying my best that you might be formed by, by, by the Spirit of God. And he almost, I think he's, re, he's, he's kind of ripping a bit on Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, God formed my, formed my inner parts... Uh, uh, God, you formed my inner parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. There's this kind of sense of, you know, we've been formed at the spiritually. What happens physically is like what's happened spiritually. And, and, and we've mentioned him before, Nicodemus, who's like a spiritual leader, he's struggling with this, and, and he comes to Jesus and says, look, I just don't get it. I don't get how you can be formed. How, how, how can I become more like Jesus, more like you? And Jesus replies, very truly, I tell you, um, unless you're, uh, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then he asks, how can somebody be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the spirit of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. And so we've em- we embark on this journey. We're embarking on this journey of almost like, of, of, of being formed, spiritually formed, slowly created and crafted and it's like a second birth. It takes time and it takes God's work in us and it's, and it's done by the Holy Spirit and no one's born of water and the Spirit. God's, God's at work in us. 
And so, so character formation takes time, it's like birth. And then the third kind of observation before we kind of get into the meat of it is, Jesus' character formed is, is like a potter and a clay. So the image we've got, I don't, if you want to go right back to the first slide and then we'll jump back, will that make it really difficult for you, Eleanor? Yeah, that first slide, when I was talking to our graphic designer, I said, I kind of don't know what image to have, and we batted it around, and we, and we ended up with this idea of, of, of a pot and clay. And, and, and I think it's really a helpful thing, because actually, you know, I said a few weeks ago that, that Adam literally means clay. It means the dirt. You know, that, that human race, Adam means humanity, but it also means, it means the dirt. We, we, we formed out of the dirt. We formed out of the clay. We formed out of the clay. And, um, yeah, don't, don't notice this, will you? Don't be distracted by this like I just was then. And we get it at the beginning, it says, and then God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the Spirit of God, and man became a living creature. And so, in one sense, there's this idea that but forming us is almost like God, God spakes the world into being, but yet when he's making humans, he kind of gets down in the dirt and gets some dirt and shapes it into a human and then breathes his life into it and there you go. And so, you know, that's, that's why we're called humans because we're made from the humus. You know, if you did kind of biology, we're made from the dirt. It's the same idea, we're made from the humus. And, and so, so God kind of takes this clay and kind of shapes it and forms it. The word is the same word that Paul used, that, that he shapes it and forms it. And that says it points to a deeper truth that humans are malleable, pliable, and plastic. By plastic, I don't mean those kind of football fans that support Man United, but have no emotional attachment to them. They've never had a family member live there, whatever. They're just kind of glory hunters, and now they support in Manchester City. No one, I've got no one in particular in view, Steve. You know, not that kind of plastic. What I'm talking about, oh, Simeon's smiling as well, and Simeon's now telling his friend I'm a Leeds fan. Uh, yeah, anyway, enough of that. But, but this idea that, that, that we're plastic, that we're malleable, that we're pliable, you know, the idea that, that, that you're fixed is really wrong. Actually, you're really formable. Even as you're growing up and you're older, you're really formable. You know, it's harder because it's where the clay starts to stick. You know, but you are formable. You know, if you're a parent, you are doing formation. You're, you're shaping your children to kind of live right. You're shaping your children to, to, to understand how to behave and, and how to do the right things and how to recognize right and wrong. You're kind of being shaped and you're being formed. And, and, and the Bible uses this idea almost like a potter. So Jeremiah 18 uh, it says, so I went, Jeremiah says, so I went down to the potter's house and saw him, that's the potter, working at the wheel. But the pot he was forming from the clay was marred or damaged in his hands. So the pot formed it into another sh- pot, shaping it as pleasing to him. That's almost a story of, of the kind of human race that we were this pot that God was making and we get marred and twisted out of shape and then God wants to put his hands on you again. And he says, can I do to you, Israel, that's his people, as the potter does, declared the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you are in my hands. So the question, so we like 
clay, we're like moldable. The question is, whose hands are on you? And that's what Paul's saying. Whose hands are on you? Are God's hands on you? Or are some other forces working on you? Are we being formed into something pleasing and wonderful? Or are you being formed into something horrible? Something marred and disfigured? So this is kind of the bulk of what I want to talk about now. Human character, as I've kind of read and studied, is formed by five pathways. Human character is formed by five pathways. I mean, if you were to describe kind of what makes up a person, you could kind of do it in terms of biology, you could say, in heart and liver and lungs and brain and stuff. But, but, but traditionally, when we say what makes up a person, we kind of say stuff like heart. And what we don't mean is the pump, we mean is the kind of like this, the motivational center, our desires, and we talk about our soul, our kind of will, who we are, our body, our mind. We talk about these components, and on all of those things can be worked on and shaped. All of those things are ways in to kind of shape you. So, so we, I, I mentioned this last week, and we'll pick, dig, dig in more detail. So we're shaped by ideas, we're shaped by experience, shaped by people, by habits. And so what we're going to try and do in this series is we're going to try... This is my really bad drawing, if you remember from last week. This is... We're, we're so basically saying there are these five ways that were shaped. Five ways that were formed by the, the story, and we'll dig into what, what story... You know, we're doing, I think we're doing that next week or the week after. What story is shaping us? What are you really believing about the world and the ideas and, and what do you pick up from the world? That's really shaping us. And we're shaped by the people around us. The people we have relationships with, for good or bad, our family impact. That we're shaped by the people that, that we're around us. We're shaped by our loves, the deep desires of our hearts, what truly, really, what we really worship. We're shaped by the experiences of our life, the, those good and bad moments, those things that horrible things that have happened to you, those great things that happened to you, those moments when you felt God is close, those moments when you felt God is really far away. And actually, we're shaped also by the habits of what we do with our body, what we do with our time. And I thought, how can I kind of flesh this out for you? So I thought, well, think, I'm going to think about two very mundane things uh, and, um, and see how they're going to shape you. So I'm going to talk, about sh talk briefly about shopping and mobile phones. Okay, now don't reach for your mobile phone at this point. I think, remember, Christopher was doing a thing a few weeks back, wasn't you? He was doing a thing and he said, now, everyone take out your mobile phone. And at that point, everybody switched off and talked about, and went about the mobile phone. We're going to dig a lot deeper about, about mobile phones, but I'm just going to give you a, a, an idea how it picks in, fit, fits into these five things. So let's start with shopping. I mean, we, when we lived in Manchester, there's a place near us called the Trafford Centre, and it was like this massive shopping centre, and it's built like a cathedral, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever been to a big shopping mall. They're built like cathedrals, aren't they? They have these big atriums, like kind of Salisbury Cathedral. They have these glass domes, light coming in, sort of ethereal light coming in. And, and you kind of, as you come in, you're greeted by these people. And there's a, there's a kind of a little map that tells you where to go. And there's little side chapels to Nike and Gucci. And there's little places. And you kind of do your, you do your kind of, you go through the racks, and, and, then, and then there's a little bit of worship. You do some, yes, you think, yes, I want this. It's, this is the good life. There's pictures of beautiful people around. You think, I can be that person. <laughs> and then you pay your money, and, you know, that's your kind of, like, sense of giving. And then you go out with a bag with a logo on, and all your friends go with you. And basically what you've got in there is you've got a, an experience, a shopping experience, 
But every picture and every diagram and every athlete, you know, in their Nike gear tells a story. You can be that person. Just buy these Nike shoes and you're going to look great. I mean, it's, it's not work for me, but I'm working on it. You know, you've got these kind of images that, of, of kind of holidays. I don't, they're the thing that really gets me. You get these pictures, I always talk about this, maybe I just need prayer. It's the kind of clear azure waters, isn't it, that just make you think, oh, I want to go there. Take me into the travel agents, take me there. You know, and it's like, I want to go there. And there's this kind of picture of, a, of the good life and, and how you, des- I want it, I desire it. And then basically, the, what, 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 what shopping wants you to do is wants you to form a habit called shopping. I mean, I, everybody's kind of losing the habit for, called shopping, except we just do it online now. But we've still got that same, oh, if I have that, I'll have that, I'll be happy. And, and basically, when you've got your things, you know, with your little logo on, you think, you know, I'm part of that group now, you know? Crew, that's my group at the moment, you know? Gucci, too expensive, Nike, a bit down market, you know, I'm, I'm part of that group now. And, and, it's, and it's kind of forming us. James K.A. Smith, in a book called You Are What You Love, says this about shopping. Who could resist the tangible realities of the good life so abundantly and invitingly offered? He says this, think. He says, I do not think my way into consumerism. You know, that I must have, I must have this, I must have this, I must have this, and we'll talk about that as we talk about stories. Rather, I'm converted into its way of life by its practices formed by its cultural liturgies. You know what liturgies are? Words and things that you repeat over and over again, yeah? It's like a bit like a worship experience. It's got story, it's got desires, it's got habits, it's got community, it's got experience. Think about your mobile phone. Don't pick it up. Well done, everybody. Think about your mobile phone. I think we're going to have a much longer talk about that. But what is social media doing? It's telling you stories, isn't it? It's telling you stories. Every picture tells a story. It's telling you stories. It's telling you stories of the good life. Nobody puts pictures up of like, here I am preaching with a bit of tissue on my face. Do they? Nobody puts that up, do they? I mean, maybe you, I mean, I know that the social, you know, there will be a picture goes, you know, I'm sure it's like, here he is, look, you know, what a loser, you know, whatever. But we like to have those stories of the good life, and, and there's that virtual community who affirm you, or don't affirm you, you there's, 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 that, that subtly shapes your desires, and, and feeds your ego, and drives your experiences, this is what I want, this is what, what drives your desires. And the thing, the worst thing about it is you can't stop the habit. You can't stop the practice. It's almost like it's, it's there, isn't it? It's just calling you, calling you. Let me shape you. Let me shape you into a consumer. Let me shape you. Let me sell, your, what your pra- let me t- sell what you look at and what you do, and let me make money out of it. James K.A. Smith in the same, bus, same book says, when we stop worrying, we sh- when we stop worrying about s- smartphones just in terms of content, and there's some bad content there, don't give your kids a sharp phone. A sharp phone. <laughs> Don't give them one of them. Don't give them a smartphone because it shapes you. I mean, I'm, we've got a policy at the school where I'm a chair of governors or like, like a, a phone-free school. We had a lot of pushback, but it's one of the best things we did as a, as a governing body. No phones in school. Not like, no, no, no phones in lessons, no phones in school. What we found is like people talk to each other, they better, if you want to phone your mum, come at the office and we'll phone them for you. No phones in school. So says, when do we stop worrying about smartphones just in terms of content? And that's really why we did it. 
do it and start to consider the rituals that tether us to them throughout the day, we'll notice that the very form of the practice comes loaded with an egocentric, that's me-centered vision that makes me the center of the universe. Your phone is forming you. Do you kind of get those two ways how we're formed by, the, by those things? And so what happens is spiritual forces work along those pathways. Uh, uh, bad spiritual forces work along those pathways. So the culture we're in tells you a story of what really is important. It tells you the story about who you are and what your identity is. It tells you the story of how do you be really free and how's fulfillment. It's telling you the story. All the time, our culture is telling you a story. You watch a Disney movie, it's telling you a story. Not just about how a princess can be anything she wants to be, but it's telling you a story. It's forming your worldview. The music you listen to, it's telling you a story. All the way through, the eye, it's not just when you're sitting down and think, oh, let me read some philosophy. When you just watch Strictly Come Dancing, there's a story and a narrative being told to you. There's a community that shapes us. Our lives are shaped by, the, by, the, by, the, by other people. I mean, you know, we, you, you, your life might have been really impacted by other people. Things that they've done to you, things that you've done to them, that form, a, that, that form mental and physical pain, unforgiveness and anger have a role in forming us because of what's happened. The people around us have formed us for good or for bad. You know, when, we talk about, when I talk about parenting, you might think, oh, I had great parents. You might think, man, I had terrible parents. If you are a parent, you probably think I'm a terrible parent, not me. You probably think you're a terrible parent because you just know how critical it is, those people around you. That's why church is important. It forms us. But society surrounds you with people and it's always forming you. you uh, we're, we're formed by our loves at heart. We're worshippers, but we're drawn into idolatrous worship. We're drawn into worshiping Leeds United. You know, it's a kind of empty idol that gives no satisfaction. You know, and you're just going to watch it again this, this afternoon and they're going to lose to West Ham again and I'm going to feel, feel miserable again. And I think, when will I ever learn? You know, we're formed by things that we think, yes, I really want that. The kind of if-onlys, the desires, if we could have that. And, we, and we'll talk about that, but it basically just ends up with restless dissatisfaction. We're formed by experiences, you know, bad things that can happen to can make you hard-hearted, can make you bitter, can make you, make you angry kind of person because we're formed by the experiences. We're formed by good experiences as well that make, shape you and make you happy, but we're formed by bad experiences. And we're also shaped, as we keep saying, by just by the habits, what, what forms us. Bad habits. Bad habits shape us. The number of times I've had to... I mean, when my kids were young, uh, I used to, we used to talk about stuff that you'd find on your phone, and we'd end up talking about, you know, pornography. And I'd say, just, it shapes you people. I say to my guys, just, lads, be careful. This shapes you. It shapes you to think about what do you think about women and what do you think about sex and what do you think about, about abuse and violence and it shapes you and shapes you. And what we're doing is we're just letting everybody, and we talked about this, you know, well, I better not say because it's all confidential, but we, you know, I've talked about this in different settings about, you know, how, how we're worried about abuse in society 
but yet we just let anybody click on and pretend they're 18 and watch this stuff. And it's forming us. It's forming us. And, it's, and my kids, and when I tell them that, they're like, they were shocked, really? Is that what it does to you? Is that what it does to you? And I say, yeah, be careful. Let's not talk about that, but it's just, we're formed by the, by the bad habits, by the good habits, by the time we waste and the time we use well. We're formed by that. And then, let's flip it over, but God's at work by his spirit to form us like Christ. Let me just read some verses and let them speak for themselves. Uh, the verse we read in our passage, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under a law to redeem us. God's got something better for us. He's at work in us. Romans 8, 29, he chose us to be conformed into the image of his dear son. Just as we've borne the image of the man of clay or the man of dust, Adam, that marred and damaged image, will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul says, Romans 12, 12, uh, 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. One translation says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The fact is, God wants to form you. He wants to put his hands on you and shape you. And we've got to say yes to him. We've got to say, I'm going to be willingly to be formed by him. I don't, want to, I don't want to bear the image of the man of dust who rejected God and said, I'm going to do it my own way and sent the world into chaos, that port that was marred. We want to be formed like Jesus. We want to be like him. Yes? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Because you will be shaped that way because it's not, you're not passive and you are moldable. You will be shaped that way unless you say, yes, Lord, shape me that way. Yes, Lord, shape me that way. Shape me in, my, in the people I spend my time with and the ideas I believe and the experiences I have and how I react to them and the habits of my day and shape the deep loves of my heart. So let me just talk about how Finally, to, to finish here, and, and I'm sorry if you feel like it's been quite up there, um, but I just kind of want to dig into this. Different churches lean into different parts of these pathways. Let's see if we can remember them. It should be on the slide. Let's read them there. Let's read them to me. We've been shaped by those things, and, and different churches have different things that they lean into. But we have got to use all the pathways if we want to be shaped and formed. We've got to use all the pathways. So let me just kind of unpack it. So if you said, which kind of church path, which pathway are we leaning into as a church? I, I, why don't you turn to your neighbour and say, what, you know, what, what do you think we lean into most as a church in this, in those, out of those five? Just turn to your neighbour. If you haven't got a neighbour, just think. So we're about loves. Are we about story, ideas, information, truth? Are we about community and relationship? Are we about experiences? Are we about practices? Okay, let's have a little vote. Hands up if, hands up if you think we're about loves. Top one. Not many. Story. Hmm, only two of you think story. Three, four, five, six story. Community. Well, that's interesting. Good. Experiences. One or two. Practices. Hmm, interesting. 
Because what I think we're about story, but then I would do because here I am telling a story again. <laughs> here I am preaching to you again. You know, it's interesting that, that you know, the ideas, it, it feels like that the, the way you make a disciple is tell them information. You know, and we, we believe in truth, don't we? Don't we believe in truth? You know, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Boom. Truth's important, right? It's important. We live in a world of chaos and lies. You look at the very first person, Adam, when he was like, when he messed up, when the pot was marred and twisted, he believed a lie. Truth's really important. Paul, we just read it, says, Paul said, be transformed. Don't be squashed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renew of your mind. It's about story. So, you know, the reality is we'll say in this church, you need to read and study and know your Bible as a way of knowing God. And Jesus says that. John 15, that famous passage about the vine and the branches. Uh, Jesus says, dwell in me or remain in me and I, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit. In other words, the outworking of, of their life, uh, it must remain in the vine in Jesus. If you remain in me and my words remaining you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, bearing much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. We understand that God's word's important, don't we? I mean, it was, I think it was you, Stan, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, talked about build your life on Jesus' words. You know, wise man built his house on Jesus' words. And, you know, and we, can, we can do that. We can say it's all about ideas. But the fact is, I'm glad we didn't all vote for that, or very few of us, because Dallas Willard, in a book that I've been reading, says this. He says, what this meant practically was that the sole means of spiritual growth was being taught and preached at. It's true, we're saved and transformed by hearing the truth of the scriptures. But are all issues of spiritual growth uh, dealt with by uh, taking the word in and reading it and hearing it? You know... Are they? You know, people say to me, you know what you need to do? You need to preach a sermon on that. Preach a sermon. Preach a sermon on giving. If the money's down, preach a sermon on giving. But it doesn't work that way, does it? It's not just the information works. I don't know why. What what happens? I'm not having a go at you. I'm just saying that's what happens. You can't just do it by preaching. Preaching really matters. Words really matter. Truth really matters. But ultimately, that doesn't change you. James K.A. Smith, again, in the book that I've been quoting, says, this method of just story, of truth, assumes a Christian are just thinking things. He talks about as if a human is just like a brain, a mind on a stick. You know, and all you've got to do to, to shape the human is just kind of deal with their head things, their, what they think about. And I'm not saying it's not true, but actually there's, there's a French philosopher who said, I think, therefore I am. In other words, that's how I think people are. I think they're all about thinking. It's just about thinking. All I have to do is give you the right idea and you'll do it. But we're not. We're not just kind of brains on sticks. There's lots more going on with us. And he says this, it seems we can't think our way to Christ-likeness. So I know people who really, really, really know their Bible, and they're really, really, really horrible. And that's wrong, isn't it? Because it's not that knowing your Bible is not important, it really is important. But you can't think your way to Christ-likeness. Let me go quicker now. So what about experiences? 
most, another common pathway in church is, is, is this idea of spiritual experiences. And, and we kind of come to church for spiritual experiences. And Paul says, doesn't he be filled with the Holy Spirit? And people constantly, when I talk about spiritual formation, they just say, I just need to experience God more. And is that true? Yes, Yes, it is. We do need to experience God more. You know, we want to come. We don't just come to sing songs. We come to meet with God. We come to encounter God. You know, we want to be in those those places of encounter, those places of the Spirit. And so, so Paul says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. We need that experience. You just can't be like the Galatians and think, I'm just going to do it by willpower. You know, people think, oh, it's got so dreary being at church, so hard work. No, you need to experience God. When you say, God, you're here. We're going to pray for people afterwards and say, God, come. I want to experience you. I want to experience you. And actually, the Holy Spirit's forming you. So Paul, in, later on in the chapter after we read, says, so if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, experiencing the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit and having the Spirit work in you makes you the right kind of person. And we all with unveiled faces, says Paul, behold the glory of God, are being transformed, again, that's that word, into his image with ever-increasing glory. And so what happens, we think, God, I just need to experience you. But what we do is we know people that have had loads of spiritual experiences and they're really not that nice. You know, you can... I I remember during the thing years ago, my kids, where people were getting prayed for and falling over. Don't remember that time, one or two? My kids, like, never fell over and they felt like they were really bad. Like, I'm a really bad Christian because I never fell over. And I used to say to them, it's not how you go down, it's how you come up. In other words, it's not like, whoa, yes, whoa, I had this amazing experience. It's like, well, what do you like when you come up? And it's not that we don't want to go, whoa, God, come, pour your love on me, but what do you like when we, when we go up? And the Corinthian church, if you read it, was like all about, like, we had these spiritual bars, these spiritual experiences, but, like, they hated each other, they're all having sex in the wrong places, it's complete chaos. So you do need that pathway where you experience God, say Yes. But it's not just going to do it on its own. You need to have the story, the truth, and the spirit. But there's more you need. You need community. Community should be fundamental to what church is. And I'm glad that you put your hands up and said we're about community. And I think sometimes people feel that's a function of size. And it can be. We're about that size where we sort of feel like we can know everyone. But I've been at churches where, like, whatever the size, no one speaks to you. I remember I had a sabbatical when I was in Manchester and I went to visit a load of churches and it was shocking. You sort of go in and you just kind of like, no one speaks to you and you kind of sit in the sea and I remember they were like, in one church they were like uh, doing communion and everyone just like, I thought, whatever, I don't know, you know, I tried to dress, dress like a sinner thinking people might talk to me. How do you dress like a sinner? Well, no, because Christians dress away, don't they? They dress a certain way, haha, I know they're a Christian. They come in like with tats and you know leather jackets, smoking a cigar. You think, oh, hang on a minute, I'm not sure they're one of those. You know what I mean? I didn't smoke. It's the tats, isn't it? I've got a leather jacket. Well. Have you? Do, you? do you smoke cigars, Elliot? Not really. <laughs> C.H. Spurgeon used to smoke cigars. And one of, but what I'm saying is, I tried to look like a non-believer, but everybody like they didn't say, oh, can I talk to you? Can I relate to you? They just kind of walk. They were getting communion. And they all just kind of barged past me like this, and I'm thinking. What's the matter? And what happened is church became something you just attended. 
Nobody knew you. You just sat there. And we, we, say, we say, because we're probably good at this, is it's not really church if you're not really friends. Because church community should be forming you. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, I need to land. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, nearly there. As a nursing mother cares for her children. There he is, Paul again, being a mother. So we cared for you. And this is one of my favourite verses in the Bible. Because we love you so much, we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel, the story, but also our lives as well. The life of a disciple is shaped and formed by the one another of a community life. Just attending a church or saying, well, I like the church because it's, it, it's, you know, it's got a great worship band, or I like the church because it's got good coffee, or I like the church because it's got a, a preacher who's really short and doesn't wear tissue on his face. I like that kind of church. Great quote from this book called Uncomfortable uh, by a guy called Brett McCracken. He says, Church, Jesus calls us not to individualize self-styled spirituality, but to faith in community, accountable to others. Christianity disembedded from the church is not real Christianity. It feigns to embrace Jesus while shunning his body. When a church becomes more about the demands of individuals on their church to fit their preferences, favoured music style, hourly sermon length, brand of coffee and so on, it loses its power to transform us and subvert our idols. It, comes, it becomes another commodity to be shopped for, consumed and then abandoned when another shinier, trendy, more relevant option appears, like boom. We need to be committed to community. Two more. I tell the band when to come back this week rather than have them wait in the wings for like a week and a half. We're getting there. Okay, practices. We, are, we, we have practices. Every church has liturgy. You know what liturgy is? It's like we used to go to the Anglican church and they'd say, right, turn to page one and you just read. I used to go to this one and they'd literally just read through the whole thing. You read that and they say that, you read that and just that. And it's like, it, it's not bad, but every church has its liturgy. We have a liturgy. Start with the scripture have a bit of worship, hopefully somebody comes and brings us a contribution, and then, you know, we, we have some notices, then we have a preach, and then we have, like, break bread, and we pray for people. We, have, we all have our liturgies. We all have our habits. And being at church is one of the most basic Christian habits. The writer to the Hebrews says this in, uh, in 10, 24. As you... Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's like love and action. Not giving up the habit of meeting together, as some are doing, but encouraging one another. Coming to church is a good habit. Say yes. It's a good habit. You know, I've said before, if you don't come, you know, you're, between, if you come once a month, then the reality is there's a lot of time and routines and stuff between that and the time you come again. And so you're going to be shaped by other things. We're going to be shaped by other things. So in, you know, in our church, we're probably good at like preaching the Bible. How are we doing at reading the Bible? We, we're good at worship. How are we doing about worship on our own? Prayer. Everyone says, I'll pray for you. Are, they really, are we really praying? We're good at breaking bread. You know, so we'll do those habits. We'll do those things. But what about the ones that look more Catholic? the sort of thing that monks would do in monasteries. How are we doing with solitude and silence and fasting and service and generosity? We're kind of a bit nervous about these, aren't we? We think, mm, I'm not sure that this is actually a really very Christian thing to do. This is the sort of thing that Catholic monks do. You know, 
But Jesus expects us to do some of these things, doesn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount, it says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. He doesn't say, you know, pray if you fancy. He says, when you pray, go into your room, pray to your Father in secret. When you fast, don't make a big show of it, you know, because I expect you to be fasting. You know, when you give, don't make a big show, don't, don't make a big check. You know, we talked about it. He expects us to do those things, doesn't he? And it's like the big neglective pathway because we're worried that we're going to become like the Galatians who were doing it all by human efforts. But I think it's really important that we find, rediscover this pathway. Let me read this from my notes and then we've got one more and we're done. As the disciples of Jesus, the daily rhythms of our lives are marked, or should be marked, are to be marked by intentional spiritual practices. Those activities within our power that train us to do what we could not do by direct effort alone. These habits shape our love and the worship of our lives, which in turn shapes the directions of our lives. So when we read our Bible, we're not just earning points to get to heaven. And I know sometimes what it's like, you think, well, flip, I better text, better text Steve and Brad my, my thoughts, because otherwise I'm going to look bad. You know, and we get out all the wrong motives, but it's all about earning and presenting and whatever. But we think, actually, if you let the Bible work in you, let the word of truth dwell in you. If you say, if you take that moment to pray and to stop and say, Jesus, you're here, now I'm here, that does something into us. And the main thing then, the last thing, is we want to be a church of love. We want to be formed by our loves. Band can come back at this point. I think in churches we've measured the wrong things. I know I've measured the wrong things. What makes a successful church? Think. What makes a successful church? Large numbers. Plenty of cash. Its own funky building. Won't we like all those things? Yeah? When I meet church leaders, I'm there to say, hmm, yes, look at this our building. Yeah, we get 500 on a Sunday. You know, I, I amazing. And we measure the wrong things for all the wrong reasons because we believe the wrong story. What should we really measure? Do we love him? Do you really love him? Do you really love him? To, we should measure, do, is Jesus more and more the object of our love, the desire of our hearts, the longing of our soul? You know, are we like David? One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of God forever and gaze upon his beauty. One thing, what's one thing you're asking for? We better be, that's the kind of people we want to be. One, the people of one thing. God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we can love him in return. And this is not some dewy-eyed, emotional, Jesus is my boyfriend. This is the same love that's stronger than death, that took Jesus to the cross, that, that takes him through, that faces persecution, that presses on through, that says, no, I'm going, I'm going for it. I remember, I'll finish with this story. I remember when me and Nays were dating. You're almost there. Me and Nays were dating, and um, she was going to Stratford to watch a, um, a theatre production. And um, she said, oh, I'm catching, the, catching whatever, the bus or something, at five o'clock in the morning. And I said, I will wake up at five o'clock in the morning and drive around to your house and pick you up and take you to your bus. Yeah? Why? 
So I was like, I loved her. I thought, yes, this is a woman I want. And then at the end of it, I, end of it when she'd done her theatre trip, I drove up to Stratford to pick her up so I could drive back with her. Yeah? I'm, it, obviously, I had to dig back 30 years to find that story. <laughs> but we should love Jesus like that. There's nothing too much trouble for you. Whatever you want, I've, I've got it. You want my money, you want my time, you want my devotion. I'm going I'm to press in. You know, guys, it should be like that. Not dewy-eyed affection, but I love this guy. If you love me, says Jesus, you keep my commandments. That's where we go in. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.